Welcome to another episode of Divine, where Nick and I discuss the intersection of development and design in the web space. My name's Tom Lucy, and this is... Nick. Oh yeah, oh yeah, oh, I'm Nick. <laughs> um, I run a digital agency out of the Commons in Collingwood in Melbourne, which is a co-working space where I met Tomo. Yeah, um, and I'm a branding-focused graphic designer, working out of yeah the same co-working space. Correct. Um, yeah, so this this week we're going to be talking about spacing and animations, but before we dive into that, what have you been up to the past two weeks? Yeah, mate, it's been a little while. Um, we've been doing, or had this big project on with some crazy deadline, and that finally finished last week and went live, um, yep. and that was unreal. Everybody was really happy with it, so were we, and during the whole deployment process, which we didn't really have any control over because it was on sort of all their legacy systems and stuff, that was... Um, that all went like seamlessly and right. didn't get any calls at like four o'clock in the morning, which was nice. Ah. Um, so that's all live. So I guess now we're ready for uh, or waiting for phase two, <laughs> which should be interesting. <laughs> yeah, uh, and also been doing a lot of our comedy festival stuff. Oh yeah, yeah, been to heaps of shows. Have you? Yeah, nice. And uh, most notably, Tim Minchin. Although I'm not sure if that was part of the comedy festival necessarily, but uh, yeah, you got tickets for that a while back. Didn't yeah, you? yeah, that was months and months ago. But um, yeah, Tim Minchin was unbelievable, just as good as he's always been. So that was great. Uh, and then also organising a blacksmithing festival, which is happening in two weeks from now. Um, so it'll be over by the time you hear this, which is great. Um, but yeah, busy organising that. Yeah, for sure. How about yourself, mate? Well, I've got that one in my calendar for two yeah. weeks um, time. But the last two weeks I've been uh, knee-deep or chin-deep in uh, type. I've been doing a type design intensive, um, which was so, so awesome. Um, so it was kind of like you just went into a dreamland. Yeah, it was just like eight hours a day, living and breathing type and trying to manage my business in the evenings. Um, so it is nice to have a bit of time back. But yeah, the course itself was phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Um, ended up making a font. Yeah, awesome. Um, inspired by sign writing uh, in Melbourne in the 1920s. It's called right. Lonsdale and I'm going to be releasing it. Um, it'll be released by the time this podcast is put out there. So that's really awesome. exciting. Yeah, yeah, cool. So shout out to Veronica Grow and Dan Milne. Um, for all of their mentoring during this course at the old school, new school for typography. Nice um, one. The other thing, yeah, the past two weeks is just playing catch up um, with client work, and yeah, we're almost there. Were you so, working a lot during the intensive, or like yeah, after every night? Yeah, yeah. pretty much sign off and there, and then sign back in. So it's pretty exhausting. Yeah, absolutely. Um, couldn't do it all the time, but yeah. managed. So, so that's good. Yeah, it's easy when you love it as well. I guess. Well, easier. Yeah. Absolutely. And it yeah. was feeding back into my work, you know. Yeah, for sure. So. For sure. Cool. All right. Well, let's get into it. So, yeah, so we're doing spacing and animations. They're not related at all. Well, not directly, I guess. Um, yeah. But we'll go into spacing first, maybe. So, uh, I guess one of the big things, well, at least that I've heard about in the past maybe five, ten years, specifically in web, is use of white space. Um, and correct me if I'm wrong, maybe, but I feel like this dive towards white spaces happened a lot maybe in the past five years and then a lot of people are saying oh it's gone too far now so when would you sort of should and shouldn't use white space and what are your thoughts on that Tomo? Um, yeah I mean I don't know whether I'd ever recommend not using white space uh-huh. so like um, yeah I'm pretty extreme with my <laughs> minimalist preference you know I'd rather yeah. there be an, a blank canvas maybe with the dot on mm-hmm. it than a whole bunch of stuff I think the the rationale behind it is it allows the viewer to focus on um, something. Yeah. So when 
I don't know, if we think about a canvas, um, if it's full of stuff, there's competing messages and it's hard to, you know, guide the viewer through any kind of process. So, um, so do you think there's sort of been like a tendency towards that just to f- put information everywhere and stuff things full of yeah, I mean, things I th- to make it look interesting, quote unquote, but really you're just sort of detracting from... Yeah, I think it's I think it's a natural kind of tendency that needs to be improved yeah. upon. Uh-huh. Um, so, like, if you present a, I don't know, first year designer with a a, a poster layout, um, there's a tendency, like a natural tendency, to fill the space yeah, okay. and also center align everything right, for whatever right. reason. They're just human yeah, natural okay. tendencies right, that right. we do when we haven't. Um, spent time thinking about these yeah, compositions yeah. um so yeah and i mean it doesn't necessarily have to be white the the space yeah you know, okay, it could right. be that the the background of a particular piece is black but it's it's making sure that there's enough space around the elements for them to breathe really and yeah. f- to be able to um digest the information yeah and so do you reckon that it's important or like yeah, how important is it in terms of making it look visually nice, but then also ensuring that there's good communication of whatever's on there? There's like a weighted sort of equal between the two. Yeah, I mean, I mean, one could argue that in order to make something look visually appealing, it needs to have um, negative space built into it, and also, yeah, it's an interesting point because it doesn't necessarily have to be visually appealing or visually exciting to be easiest to consume mm, mm. or be communicative effectively yeah because yeah. i mean I, I was about to say like the both uh as you know they're interlinked but then i thought about typography and when it's like really visually exciting it might not be appropriate for body copy and yeah, for reading yeah. through paragraphs and paragraphs of text so um i think yeah i see negative space which is probably a what's well, this it covers all colored backgrounds yeah, i guess yeah yeah um but just as a concept in kind of the creation of design or any like art be it music or um you know it's thinking about the space between the statements is yeah okay. what will add or detract from their power yeah 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 um you know there's that classic saying that music is the space between the notes yeah um yeah. So, yeah, I, I see kind of placing positive elements in a space as you're carving out the negative space yeah. rather than just seeing, you know, oh, I need more Places space to around this. It's like yeah, here's, okay. And you're actually carving it out, and that needs to be designed just as much as the positive. Yeah, right. Um, I've obviously spent two weeks making letters and <laughs> thinking about the, the yeah. most minute details. <laughs> yeah. yeah, nice. Um, and so when you're sort of uh, doing a design for um, web versus um, maybe like a print poster versus a, a book yeah. or a print book or something like that. How does What are the different things that you've got to consider in that respect in terms of spacing and, and white space, I guess? Yeah, so... I mean, in both contexts, I'd want to make sure that there's enough space around the elements so that they can be, um, like, properly read. Yeah. Um, and can properly communicate something visually but um i guess the difference would be like setting up a document for print um i'd set up a grid first because it's like that layout isn't going to change yeah um so i can have a pretty 
set. Yeah, um, okay. Grid and by grid, I just mean like rulers that are spaced apart from each other on a vertical and horizontal axis. Yeah. Axis that um, allow me to place elements mm-hmm. with kind of structure. Um, so that would be different to setting up a document for for web. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd set up, you know, columns, yeah. and they'd have a particular space between them. Um, and I'd want to make sure that there's margins on either side of the main document. Yeah, and I guess the different or the main difference is really is that a, a web document obviously scales vertically and horizontally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's it's harder to predict what it's going to look like. Yeah, um, it just kind of de- yeah, you, you're more like creating scenarios yeah, or best yeah. case scenarios yeah. whereas print it's just like here it is yeah, yeah. this is what it's going to look like yeah and I think with web sometimes it's sort of like okay we're going to we might not be able to do exactly what we want to do because it's going to break some of the consistency in the coding or whatever so we'll have to just sort of take a concession here and there just so it's going to be nicer over different screen sizes and, and whatever else yeah but I, yeah I mean I guess the, the spacing considerations would be related to padding and margins yeah yeah most um, like yeah most immediately that's what comes to mind but then if we were zooming in further on detail it would be tracking and and line height yeah, yeah. and um, you don't really do kerning with CSSD there's no I mean there is actually a property I think called CSS kerning or just kerning um, but and I, and I think it's I think what you can actually do is you can tell a browser to ignore the built in kerning in a font right and so I've never used it before or tried it. Um, Which you shouldn't do. No, well, you wouldn't just want to imagine turning the... Co- like, why would you ever need to do that? I don't really understand. But oh, I, I want to meet the person that came up with that. Added that to the spec. Well, because I, I know now that, you know, a font's created and there's so much yeah. time and... En- well, yeah. when it's done properly, yeah. there's so much time and energy put into the spacing between letters. For sure. And every single combination yeah. is... You know, the spacing is designed. Mm-hmm. So if you turn that off, you know, you should probably get in the bin. Yeah, it's pretty weird. I wonder why that's <laughs> But there. maybe, yeah. Or maybe, maybe, maybe it breaks on some old brow, like, I don't know. Yeah, or maybe yeah. there's, a, there's a, a totally rational reason for doing it, and then you can get out of the bin and yeah. tell me what it is. And you can tweet us at Divine we Podcast. A, we don't have a Twitter. Yeah, we do. Hashtag Divine Podcast. All right. I well, registered the other day. Hit me up in my tweet box. We've got zero followers. Sh- yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, cool. So, and so you're talking about... Um, <laughs> padding and margin before. Now, I, th- I think what's interesting from a web perspective at least is, so margin generally, I imagine margin to be sort of relative to, or at least in typography, relative to the um, font size that you're working with. So you might have your typography H1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, and they ideally would have a ratio between them, right? Mm-hmm. And then you might have a, uh, some a margin below your H1, and then you'll have a margin below your H2, and generally that margin below the H2 will be a little bit less as well and that'll sort of be in that same ratio as well that goes down. So I think a lot of the time I see margin as that kind of thing as it's a um, it's a ratio between something that's already set um, or it's just used randomly to position stuff. Um, whereas then I see padding a lot of the time or ideally being able to use padding as sort of set values or, or you might have like 10 padding values that you use throughout the site and that way you sort of end up with this consistency through all these elements or components or pieces that you have that have this, you know, nice padding that's sort of the same through everything and it really keeps that consistency alive. Yeah. Yeah, and something um, I got exposure to pretty, well, yeah, reasonably 
recently was um, using multiples of eight for coming up with these kind of right, okay. values. Like, even if doing a design, it's like, all yeah. right, eight pixels is teeny tiny, but what about 32? Oh, yeah, that's working. Right, what about 64? Right. Oh, it needs to be, you know, needs to be a massive one because it's coming into this big yeah. text block. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so I don't, have you ever come across that as being a magic number for... Um, not spacing. necessarily, I guess. Okay. Um, what I'd probably do is just try and look at the design and then find um, any consistencies in there, really. And a lot of the time it might be, um, you know, if you, especially if you're working with a CMS or something, it needs to be easily um, reused around and, you know, you can't sort of add a few pixels here or remove a few pixels here and, and certain things. Yeah, I'll probably go through and have a look. Okay, we've used this much padding here, this much padding here, this much padding here. Okay, there's some kind of... Um, similarity or common denominator or something and then think about using that but a lot of the time ideally we'll just try and stick to a couple of values whatever they sort of end up being i guess yeah cool so less yeah. is definitely better I, I reckon that's the way to go for sure yeah and, and you know not only is that great from a programming perspective it makes things a lot simpler and like i said with the cms as well it's almost required sometimes um but then also i think just visually it helps a lot as well especially when you know if you're going to be building pages with repeatable segments and then you've got um you know, you might have designed a page with, say, eight segments or whatever it is, but as you start combining those segments in different orders, then it becomes more important that that padding and stuff is actually the same over a lot of them because they're going to be in different combinations now. Okay. And so if you've sort of set paddings, you know, more specifically, it's almost like, imagine this, imagine like like you're saying about kerning, so you've got two letters specifically that are next to each other, you might change the margins and the padding, well, the spacing between them. And similarly for a website, if you've got two components or two sections or whatever it is, you might want to change the specific margins between those two sections only because, um, you know, for whatever reason, it looks better if they're a little bit closer or whatever it is. Yeah. But then okay. you've got to consider, okay, but if that sectional component's going to be somewhere else on the website, you know, is that going to be moved up a little bit or lower as well? So it's trying to keep that consistency across all the different pieces. Yeah, cool. I mean, that's ideally. Um, it sort of depends what you're working with, I guess, but definitely something to consider anyway. Um, cool. So that's, I think, everything on spacing maybe. Well... Yeah, I mean, we didn't didn't go on into heaps of depth on um, line height and and, oh, yeah. and tracking because um, they're probably the two typography related yeah, yeah, yeah. spacing things that um, affect the development side. One hundred percent. Yep. As would probably line length. So like yeah, line height, yeah, yep. line length, and um, yeah, tracking. I mean, tracking more so for. And so tracking being this this the. The space between all letters, so like, yeah, so a font's created with spacing set, and then if you have tracking at, I don't know, two pixels, mm-hmm. it'll add two pixels between each kind yep. of letter. And then so and then the kerning... Consistently. Yeah, and then the kerning is like a special case between any two letters where it deviate a little bit from that yeah. tracking. Yeah, exactly. It's designing yep. the space between two letters rather than an equal amount between every letter yeah, in a word. Yeah. So um, one thing I've learnt in the last couple of weeks is that when a font is down at a very small point size, it generally needs a little bit more breathing space right, between okay. the letters to be legible, but a lot of web fonts, this is built into their spacing. Oh, uh, okay. Um, but, yeah, I mean, some some fonts that look great as headlines like Bodoni, you put them down to body copy and they become almost entirely illegible. Right. And it's um, it can be adjusted slightly by 
adding spacing between the letters, but then there are other tweaks as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, tracking something that can improve a headline that's all caps yeah, yeah. Um, sometimes, but I wouldn't say it's a hard and fast must-do. Yeah, okay. Sometimes the relationship between the letters just looks great as is. Yeah, but, yeah. So, um, yeah, because, like, every time I'll get something that's all in caps, I'll definitely try it, letter spacing, like, 0.5 picks straight away just yeah, to see if it... Yeah, and a lot of the time it works. I just wouldn't want to sit here and say, like... Always do it, yeah. If caps then tracking yep. you know yep. like because sometimes sounded like a bit of programming there mate i did it i'm a dev <laughs> <laughs> um yeah and so that's tracking line height being the space between lines of text mm-hmm. um as soon as you get into the negatives for that or like rather less than one yeah um one what point well it's unitless because it's a multiplier it's, right yeah because it's like so if you have you know 18 picks font size then your line height one is just like one times 18 right so you can set it's a ratio correct. of the, the actual size of the yeah that's right so you can do that or you can actually set it as pixels or whatever other value you want as well it just okay. means that obviously it wouldn't scale as the font size scaled ah, okay so it's better best practice to just use a um well it's up to you so unitless. i guess um it's probably more common to use unitless. It just makes it easier. And then, you know, if you change your font size on mobile or whatever, you don't have to worry about the line height as well. Mm-hmm. Um, if the user starts changing um, font sizes by decreasing the screen zoom and stuff like that, then the line height will play nicely. Um, but there might be some times when, yeah, you know, you do want to statically set both of them, I guess. Yeah, cool. Um, so on setting line height, like, I think, yeah, as soon as it gets beneath one, as a general rule, for body copy that starts to become pretty hard to read. Yeah. But I say as a general rule because no two fonts are created exactly the yeah. same. And yeah. Sometimes the line height, the default will be higher yeah. for a particular yeah. cut than others or the X height, which is pretty much the height of like the lowercase X, right. if you imagine that, how it carries through all the lowercase letters, mm-hmm. is taller or shorter. Um, that'll impact what how you perceive the lines between text. So there are a lot of things working there Yeah, yeah. that would just make it impossible to be like, always 1.1, 1. 1. Yeah, you yeah. know, it it just depends. Um, but I've had cases where I've done a design, it's like 0.8 line height, and yeah, it just right. looks ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. You know, I had to have a friend tell me, like, what the hell? Yeah, okay. Why is it, you know, why, have you, why are your lines of text running into each other? Yeah. Um, so that's something important to consider, just to make sure that it's not crazy, mm. so it looks like every line of text is a separate paragraph, yeah, yeah. and it's not, like, squashing. Um, the other thing is uh, line length. So there's like yeah, an, yeah. an optimal amount of characters for readability on mm. a line. I think it's somewhere between like 50 and 70. Yeah, okay. Um, so you can set in CSS like max width 30M or yeah. something like that. Yeah. Um, I mean, this is just something I've gotten exposure to in the last few weeks. Yeah, yeah. Have you had much... Yeah, definitely. Have you spent much time with like... Yeah, I guess measure. Yeah, um, definitely... I mean, always developing. I'm always on a massive screen, so it's always well. It's pretty obvious immediately as soon as you start having copy that's running. You know, like a thousand pixels or something like that. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, a lot of that. Um, like, yeah, a common thing will be. I think. And I think that works out to be about 600 pics is around nice or 540. Okay. Is about the pixel width. Um, for like a for point readability size of... of like body copy of like 18 or something. Yeah. Okay. Um, and so that's generally what we'll go with. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's uh, you got to do it for sure. Yeah. 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 Uh, one of the other annoying things that comes up quite a lot, though, is 
trying to work with designs that have um, uh, line breaks in copy that works great for whatever screen size it's designed in, but then as you start shrinking the screen or growing the screen, then that um, line break doesn't work anymore. And so you end up sort of having these weird cut-off sentences at different screen. Ah. Because if you put that line break in in HTML, it's always going to be broken there. Mm-hmm. And so having sort of bespokely designed line breaks in spots, especially if it's designed for mobile, happens all the time. Designed for mobile, you'll have some breaks in, so it might be a big heading, have some breaks in there. But then as you expand it, you've got to remove those breaks because otherwise yeah, that's, it'll look that's, stupid. that's really interesting for me to consider in designing, um, yeah. putting together web designs because just by default, I'm, you know, adjusting the body copy totally. so that there are no um, orphans, or orphans or widows. Yep. Orphans being like a single word of a new sentence is the last word on the line. Uh-huh. And a widow is like on a new line, there's only one word. Yep, yep. Um, just visually like... Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, that's definitely a struggle. And it also, what complicates it again is, you know, if you're using a CMS and the client updates the copy, then who knows what's going to happen after that. Yeah, so it's always a it's a tough yeah, one. Yeah, so to, it's, it's not a not as easy as just writing it in. Exactly. Yeah, but there, there's some interesting ways around that. You can do stuff like um, on certain screen sizes. You can actually, if you so if you've got the um, the line breaks in HTML, like your BR tags, you can actually set them to not break lines, like in your CSS. Right. So you can potentially do a design for mobile, have your BRs in there. But then as soon as it gets to tablet or desktop or whatever it is, then you can actually just stop them from breaking and it will just break wherever the wherever it can, you know, yeah, or okay. wherever it needs to. So that's another approach. Yeah, I've had to do that before with like a really, really, really long email address. Right, yeah. You know, yeah, I just yeah. have had to set it to like, you know, not break the whole site. Because the presence of that single element yeah. throws the whole yeah. mobile experience, yeah. which is wild. Yeah, and that, that's happened to us so many times. We've got a site that we've translated into German, and German words are sometimes 43 words stuck together. Oh, my God. And so you just end up with, it's just, it's almost like a paragraph, or it's not, okay, it's a bit of an exaggeration, but it's easily two lines on mobile. It'll be two lines, but it's one word, and you just got to break it randomly and yeah. hope that they can read it. And what's the, what would you write for that? Um, what does that look like in, oh, in the like, codes? Is it break word? So it's CSS, and it's like break word something. Um yeah, I use it so infrequently that luckily I don't actually know what it is. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but otherwise, um, yeah, word break, break all. So that would break at any character. So that's if you're using a, like a long email address like that or if you've got really long words or, you know, I imagine it probably happens a lot in technical documents as well where they've got long words that don't have hyphens and stuff like that. Mm. Um, but yeah, that's definitely something to check because yeah, like you said, as soon as you have that word that extends out, you just end up breaking the width of everything and you can scroll sideways on your mobile and that classic mm. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good one. Well, I, f- I feel like we've um, covered a few different angles on spacing and on on the web. Yeah, and I guess as well, um, we had another episode on layout. Um, yeah. So that and that probably ties in quite well into that kind of stuff. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, what about Uncle Animation? Uncle What's his story? Animation, matey. That's not a question, really, is it? <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> <coughs> um. So what yeah. are what are web animations? Okay. That's a question. Yeah, that that's a better question. Let's go <laughs> with that one. Um, so I guess web animations. There's a bunch of different types of animations you can do on the web, and I guess sort of the most simple one you'll see all the time, which you, you know somebody might argue is not an animation, but it's like when you hover over a, a link and it changes color, or you see the underline, the text ah, decoration underline. So I have done an animation ah, before. Very cheeky of you. Yes. Yeah. So I think that, I mean that's a basic one, um, and. 
at its very base, you know, if you hover over a link, it'll change color instantly, or the mm-hmm. underline will appear instantly. Um, and so you can sort of the next step of that would be using the CSS transition property. And so you can say, okay, let's transition whatever property is. So it might be the link color. Um, you know, when you hover over it, let's transition it in 0.3 seconds. So it actually fades as opposed to immediately changing from one to the other. I'm taking notes of this because I'm developing a site at the moment. <laughs> I'm a noob. Oh, yeah, okay. Well, I mean, you can listen to the recording because we are recording this. Yeah. So actually, you can transition. only going to be able to listen to it when it comes out. So. Very good. <laughs> yep. Um, yes, yeah, so transition properties are great. And so you can do, um, obviously, you can't do every, you can't transition every single property, but you can do stuff um, like colors is probably the most common one um, that you transition widths and heights and positions and all kinds of stuff. So... So the transition, you, you set how long it takes? Pretty much, yeah. And there's a few other options for it, um, but, yeah, that's the main part of it, yeah. Um, and then, so that would be, so the simple one would be, you know, on hover events, you can do that. Um, and then the next step up might be using JavaScript to add classes to certain things depending on whatever it might be, and then that can cause a transition once you've right. added a new class to something. Um, ah, so like a mobile hamburger. Exactly, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so, yeah, so the idea would be you'd click on something and then in JavaScript you detect that click, you'd add another class to maybe the header element or something, and then you might set header, um, you know, you might set the background to um, be black so it now sort of extends out and whatever, blah, blah, blah. So that's that kind of animation. Um, and, and those are usually sort of one way or um, sort of a, yeah, a single sort of thing and you don't usually stack them, you don't usually have a bunch of animations in a row because then it gets quite complex to manage and ordering them becomes difficult because imagine if you had sort of, you're animating um, three things sequentially, you sort of have to add the JavaScript class or add the class using JavaScript, wait, say, a second while it animates, add the next class, then wait a second, and so it gets a bit messy trying to manage them all. And then if you want to go backwards, then you sort of got to undo the classes in the right steps and it's very tricky to manage. Yeah. Yeah. So... That's, so when that sort of stuff starts happening is probably when you want to start doing CSS animations is what they're called, um, and that's using keyframes. Okay. So with the keyframe, you sort of say um, you've got 0 to 100% of time, and you can say how, how long that might be. So it might be 4 seconds from 0 to 100%, and you can say, okay, at 0%, I want the um, I want the top property to be 0, and then at 50%, I want the top property to be 100, and then at 75% I want the top property to be 500 and keyframes will automatically animate between those properties based on those percentages. Oh, so what what's the 100 500 value represent in that? Um, so in that case it would be like a uh, absolutely position element just moving down the screen for instance. Uh, okay. But the benefit of using so keyframes. Like, yeah, are you referring to like pixels from Correct, the top? sorry. Yeah, yeah that's okay. right. Yep. Um, yeah, so the benefit of using keyframes is you can easily sort of map out these animations between spots and it's not linear necessarily so you can do all kinds of stuff and then of course for each step you can change different things as well it's not just the one property you can change at the time so you can sort of do all these different properties in different combinations in different amounts and lengths and so you can get some really complex stuff going on there cool but again as that starts getting more and more complicated um it becomes harder to manage and then it's probably when you want to start going to something like just using pure javascript animations so by that i mean essentially what you're doing is you're getting um using JavaScript to get a node in the DOM, like a div or whatever it might be, get that in JavaScript, and then you can just start setting, you know, it might be every two milliseconds you set um, a property, so you might set it to top 100 and then top 101 and then top 102, but you do it really quick and it's the effect of animating something. Um, and there's lots of animation libraries out there. GreenSock's probably the most common one, um, and it just gives you lots of easy methods to move things around. Right. And, and jQuery does that as well. You know, you can, like, 
jQuery can do like slide up, for instance, and it animates an element, but that's all in JavaScript that it does that for you. Okay, and by these libraries, you mean there's just sets of code that you can copy and paste? In Pretty much exactly right. Yeah. 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 Um, so, yeah, and then finally, I guess there's, you wouldn't strictly call it an animation maybe, but the next step of doing some sort of um, moving or animated thing on the web generally would be going into using Canvas. So right. Canvas is basically, as it sounds like, it's a it's a canvas that you can paint and draw objects on. Um, and the way that that works essentially is you draw the objects and then if you want the object to move, you sort of erase it and redraw it. So you're sort of just painting every frame basically. Okay. And you can do all sorts of really complex animations and um, and videos almost to some degree. Um, so there's some pretty complex stuff you can do there. And are these... Have, how long have these been possible for? Yeah, that's a good um, thing. Uh, so if I ever want to figure out if I or how long something's been around or if I can use it, you know, if, whether the browsers support it, um, it's always, see, uh, can I use? And it looks, every time I look at it, I think canines. I don't know why. but um, And then I'll just get, you know, um, can I use space? And I'll be like CSS transitions. And, you know, 99% of the time it's the top one. And you can actually see... Um, it, uh, for for instance, CSS transitions were available from IE10 onwards and every other browser. So these days, everything basically. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I don't think anybody really designs or builds for IE9 anymore, unless you're wanting to die. Unless you're a toy. Yep. Um, but yeah. So, do you have any experience with animations in in web? Um. Well, I was gonna say no, but mm. then you said that hover. Yeah. Yeah. I reckon that counts, mate. You can get a little medal for that. Yeah. And I mean... Medal of participation. <laughs> oh, well, cool. Uh, also, I mean, I probably can't take credit for some of these things. Like, I did a little JavaScript course, like JavaScript for creative developers or whatever the title was. Yeah. Did all these things, you know, following the steps, but I couldn't tell you how I did them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, like, that was a bit of parallax at one stage, wasn't it? Yeah, there was some yeah, of that, yeah, and yeah. like you click every time you click on the image, a new one comes in front, and yeah, yeah. or you hover over it, and they kind of move organically. Yeah, I don't know what how I did that, <laughs> um, but I kind of remember stuff about toggle states for the like mobile menus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yep. And I'm going to be opening that up tomorrow. Yeah, cool. So. Or even this afternoon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'll have to figure that out again. Yeah, um, nice. I mean, you really helped me last time with that. I think there's a... It's It seems as though, like, front-end development, you can get your head around, like, CSS, HTML, and, like, some foundational things, mm. but then these animations are, like, next level. Yeah, I don't know. I think once you learn it a little bit more, it'll be demystified just as much as learning the rest of it was okay you know? and I think it's you know the same as anything just a bit of repetition and getting used to what you can and can't do yeah because well, I think that's one of the big ones if if you don't sort of know what you can animate or what you can't or what's easy and what's not you can end up stuck on something that might not really be possible with what you're trying to do it with yeah okay um, but yeah no the mo- mobile menus are good and like that mobile menu that we built or that I built recently for that project and it would sort of fade out the rest of the whole page underneath it as it yeah, came over and stuff like that yeah such a sick detail to yeah. blur out the the rest of the site. What what is that like? Um, so that was so that's a CSS property called filter blur, um, and I think it's filter blur. And so filter, oops. Um, so filter <clears throat> has a lot of different things you can apply to it. Um, 
So there's blur, there's contrast, there's grayscale. So it's all th- things for manipulating color generally, except for blur and drop shadows, I think. Um, but yeah, and so similarly, you can just set these things, or if you apply the CSS transition property and say CSS transition, you know, filter three or 0.3 seconds, then it's going to apply that filter of blur or whatever it might be over that time frame as you add the class to it or whatever it is. Yep. So, you know, and they're pretty fun to play around with. They're really cool for images. You can do lots of cool stuff like. Um, uh, sepia or saturate things when you mm. hover over them as images, which can give cool effects. And yeah, that's something else I need to nut out for a site I'm developing at the moment. Yeah. Um, are there are there issues with those filters f- uh, around compatibility? Yeah. Well, this is the great thing about this these kinds of um, playing around with this stuff is that if the browser doesn't support it, you're not going to break anything because if you're just blurring. So, as an example, like you're saying, um, I built a site where you open the mobile menu and then the content below the mobile menu would sort of blur out. And if, for instance, the browser didn't support that, well, then that's not a big deal. So it's these things, well, a lot of these things, um, because they're a bit stylish and a bit fun, they're not necessarily that functional, or at least they're not used in a functional way. So if they degrade and they don't work or at all because of the browser, whatever, that's not usually a big deal. Okay, I mean, but that, like a, a key takeaway for me from the design perspective there is make sure that the designs don't include these things... Like, these things aren't part of the foundation of yeah. the website design. And a, and a functional requirement, like a, because sometimes it's not possible. Yeah. Like, a image filter on hover mm-hmm. then makes the text on top readable, for Exactly example. right, yep, and and we see that pretty commonly. And yeah, that's sort of freaking done in the design. Yeah. But but there's lots of ways around that. that, that um, like, know, so load a different image on hover, perhaps? No, so generally, so an easy way of doing it with a filter would just be using sort of grayscale and then turn it um, darker or lighter or whatever it is. Yeah. But then a tricky way of doing it is just absolutely positioning a div over the image and then just change the background colour from transparent to light grey or something like that. Right. So there's ways around that kind of stuff. And that's, you know, and most of the time in that respect, if I, if, if I was building it and I saw there was a, a requirement to be able to see the text on top of that, I wouldn't use a filter because it probably doesn't work on i nine, and I'd just do the, the hacky way. Yeah, okay. As a default thing, but... Yeah, because the way around that, at least, as a first solution is just mm. like the image filter yeah. that's applied. It's pretty much like a colour gradient over the top of a black and white photo. Yep. That's just what that tile looks like. Yeah, yeah. And it fits with the brand ID and it could end up being a better solution anyway. Yeah, yeah. Uncle Animation, what else have you got for me? Well, where, where should you know, where should one get started? Yeah, okay. Like particularly, uh, you know, stupid designer like me. Yeah, cool. I think... Um, Definitely playing around, like I said, at the start with CSS transitions for hover states. Um, you can do, like I said, obviously changing link colors and backgrounds to stuff. Um, one thing that's kind of fun to play with is if you get a design where the underline for a link is really far away from the copy, mm-hmm. then you can't use text decoration underline to have that underline there. Um, and also you can't animate text decoration underline easily, or, or at all, I guess. Um, and so a way to get around that is what you actually do is you can uh, use some CSS to create a pseudo element uh, before the link. So that before the A link, create a pseudo element and then create it a height of one pix and a width of 100% background black and then position it absolutely from the bottom negative five pixels or whatever. So you actually end up with a line below the link 
but that's actually a pseudo element, so you can actually start animating that pseudo element. Ah. So you can do stuff like make it do a backflip. You can do all sorts of stuff. Yes. And you can actually one really common one that's nice is you can initially have its width as zero, and then you hover over it and it extends out to be a hundred percent. So they sort of oh, show up. Oh, cool. Or if you have a pseudo a, a before pseudo element which might be black or the same uh, color as the copy and then you hover over it, then you can actually add a after pseudo element to then extend a colourful bar on top of it. So it looks like a progress bar sort of comes yeah, underneath cool. the thing. So those things are fun and you know and and they're really good ways of sort of understanding the foundations of how those pieces animate and, and what they do and understanding as well how animations go backwards, or at least these those sorts of animations go backwards. So when you sort of unhover, how does that work going backwards? And so a good thing to Google to figure that out would be CSS underline pseudo element. Yeah, or animating at the start of that, and then that, I reckon that's a good way to do that. Cool. Because I feel like sometimes that's the hardest part, is translating something like this into a search term that's yep. going to give the right result. For sure. And that's, yeah, I find that was one of the biggest struggles um, when learning dev, and especially CSS, because it's sometimes stupid. Um, especially when I'm mentoring somebody, they might be like, okay, I've struggled with this for ages, and then I can just type something in the search, and it's like the first answer, and they're like, oh, cool, like, I just didn't know how to find that. Like, yeah. what words was Story I meant to be using? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that is a classic one. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that's a good way to start getting into animations. And then um, more fun stuff you can use is definitely um, transforms. So transforms are sort of manipulations of DOM elements, um, often in three dimensions. So you can rotate them, you can um, size them, you can skew them, you can translate them. So you can do all kinds of crazy stuff. Um, and you can do it in 3D as well. So you can make things rotate around the um, x-axis or the y-axis or you know mm. the z-axis as well if you wanted to um, and i can never remember like which ones they all are x y z i just have to every time i try and do a rotation like that i just have to try every x y z to just <laughs> see if it works because well why is like thinking about why is the vertical because it's got down. the vertical bit yeah oh no but but then where's z so you've got i don't know so I think I think it's actually they follow the engineering principle. If you, so if you have your left hand and then hold out your thumb, index, and root finger, and then that's X Y Z. Y is the one sticking up your thumb, but then Y actually goes down. And that's X Y. No, sorry, what did I say? X Y. So do you know what I mean? That's confusing no. as hell. Yeah, I know. So every time I just I just try it out and just put different letters in there. Anyway, um, so. Those are really fun to use. You can animate all kinds of stuff spinning around. Um, and then the good thing about that as well is you get used to those type of transforms and you can actually build stuff like... Um, you can actually build a 3D cube cool. using those transforms. So you essentially, you just make <laughs> six div squares and you just move one backwards, move one to the right and transfo- uh, rotate it, you know, and just you can build a cube. And then once you've got that cube, then you can actually just... 3D rotate the entire cube and make it like spin on its axis or, or whatever. So yeah, there's wow. lots of cool stuff you can do with those um, tra- uh, transform um, stuff. Yeah. Yeah, cool. Um, and a good thing to check out as well, just to get some inspiration. I always go to CodePen and just type in CSS CSS animation or whatever it might be. Um, you know, some so s- CSS animation is a good starting point. Yeah. And yeah. then you can look to the yeah. weird and wonderful world of JavaScript. Exactly. And also, yeah. we're looking at this under the well with the assumption that you've kind of got a foundational knowledge of HTML and For sure. CSS. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Um, before looking at this, you know, yeah. you kind of need to have that. First, right? Yeah, absolutely. I'd say that for sure. And one other really fun animation type that I always get around is SVG animations. And the one, only problem with this is that some browsers don't support some of the complex ones. But the great thing about SVG animations mainly is that you can animate a path to appear. So this happens a lot in logos. Um, 
if you can get the logo in SVG, you can sort of animate the logo being drawn almost like a pen, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. Um, so SVG animations are really fun as well. Yeah, and if you get the logo in EPS or AI, mm. then you can export it as SVG. Yep, yep. Um, cool. And so one other thing I wanted to touch on, we'll run a bit long, but anyway. Whatever. One other thing I want to touch on is parallax, and is that an animation? No. Do you see, what do you reckon of parallax just these days? Put it in the bin. Put it in the bin. Yeah. Get in the bin with Internet Explorer 9. Is it because it's been too overdone, do you reckon? I don't know. It's just Or is it just not a thing? Single question. Does it enhance the communication? Yeah. Yes or no? Yeah. If no, why is it there? Yeah. Oh, because it's cool. It's like, you know, it's, it's visually jarring oftentimes. I mean, there are cases where it isn't, mm. but they're rarer. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah, no, and... Yeah, it definitely became a fad like, what, three, four years ago? And everything was parallax. Every yeah. every website had parallax on it, um, and yeah, and I agree. It's generally not great, but my experience is that clients love it and people love it. Yeah, same as carousels. Clients love carousels, but they are the worst at delivering information. Mm, but again, it's like I don't really care what a client loves. It's like what does their audience love well, and well, what are they attracted 100%, to? Yeah, because um, otherwise, it's just being led by for sure. You know. Yeah, and I guess when I say clients, I mean the clients and the people that look at it. Like they like fancy crap like that. That's what's important yeah, there. Yeah. If the audience using the site have a preference, then that's what mm. is most important. Yeah, it's an interesting one because yeah, a lot of the stuff I read says that maybe it's one of those things where consciously consciously people like it, but subconsciously they don't. Mm. So everybody says they like it, but in reality they would prefer a website that didn't have it, but they wouldn't know it. Well, and in reality they might position a brand as inferior because that's part of the experience yeah yeah exactly even, yeah even if, know even if they say out loud like exactly oh yeah I, I really like it it's like so what do you think of this brand yeah. oh uh, uh, not not amazing not premium yeah not you know um but there are some good examples of parallax and some of the best i've seen what they do is they actually create this um it's not just one thing moving with respect to the background or whatever it is, it's a whole lot of different elements and they all move at different rates so they give you this really deep perception of, of depth. Yeah, it's like and slow-mo falling like, down a skyscraper. I've got an example here. Yeah, that's sick. And it's uh, firewatchgame.com and they have sort of this forest scene that you can look at and there's all these different um, depths of the forest and as you scroll, all the trees sort of slowly move as if you're actually panning down. Like, it just looks fantastic. Yeah, that is legit. Yeah, it's absolutely beautiful. And, of course, that there's no content or anything around there. It's just like a nice hero landing and it's... Yeah, I mean... Yeah, it's beautiful. I guess Parallax as, a, as an option isn't a bad one. It's just the use of, you know, full-width image, scrolling through the image with the scroller. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Zooming into it as you scroll or something that just isn't built for the site mm-hmm. it's just there to be a just to yeah as a flourish that's yeah, yeah. Um, but all that being said if you do want to play around with parallax it's a really good um, learning uh, exercise to get on top of javascript animations specifically okay um, there are some libraries that you can do it really easily with um, scroller s-k-r-o-l-l-r is a really good um, library. It's quite old though now. I don't know if anything's really replaced it. Maybe because nobody wants to do Parallax anymore. There's nothing that's come out that's better. But um, but yeah, the good thing about Parallax is because you're moving often quite big things. You know, you're moving images um, that you know might be full size, uh, full width of the screen and stuff, and you're moving them. That can be quite heavy on the browser. 
and as well because you're tracking scrolling it's every time you scroll you've got to do an action and so you'll learn a lot about um, uh, keyframe or request animation frame rate which is a, a browser function um, and being able to manage um, scroll and the events that happen and, and all that kind of stuff so that, that's a really good exercise to, to learn yeah cool um well, there's a lot, lot to consider there on both spacing and animation. Um, what are the what are the main takeaways? Um, I think probably for me, spacing um, consistency is probably one of the most important things, both from a design perspective as well as from a code clean and reusability perspective. So trying to be as consistent as possible is something I would strive for. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think for web animations, just start doing them and start using easy stuff like hover and colors and then just sort of go from there. Yeah, cool. I think all I'll add to that is um, that when handling type on the web, mm. there's no hard and fast rule. Yeah, there's okay. no ratio that can be applied to every font because none are created necessarily equal. Yeah, so yeah. all I'd say is that adjust based on optics, yeah. like optically what mm-hmm. looks... You know. Yeah, and, and that's an awesome exercise just for a developer to do as well, just so they can get an idea of um, the things that you can change and what they might look like yeah, and, and sure. playing around with it, you know, and just try and, exactly like you said, just try and see what optically makes sense. Yeah. Nice one. Yeah, cool. All right, well, that's all we have time for you today. Well, that's all we've got to talk about, really. Yeah. We've got plenty of time, but just Yeah, we've got plenty else. of time just uh, run out of material. If you want so to hang out for a little bit. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you never, because that's the end of our podcast.